ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so continuing with kun salafin al jadda we've now reached the chapter regarding some of the principles of the Salafi methodology. Some of the principles of the Salafi methodology. The first of these principles that the Shaykh mentions in brief is The principle regarding enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. So enjoining the good and forbidding the evil this is the first of the principles that the Shaykh mentions with regards to the principles or some of the principles of the Salafi methodology. So firstly the Shaykh explains what does that actually mean, enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. What is the good? Just like Shaykh Muhammad bin Salih al-Thameen rahimahullah ta'ala said, in order for a person to enjoin the good and forbid the evil, then obviously you need to know what the good is and what the evil is. If a person doesn't know what the goodness is, then how is he going to enjoy it? And if a person doesn't know what the evil is, then how is he going to prevent it or prohibit it? So here the first thing the Shaykh explains is what is al-ma'roof? When we say al-amr bil-ma'roof al-munkar, enjoining the good and forbidding the evil, then what is this good? The Shaykh says jami'u ta'at. The goodness, the ma'roof, when we say enjoining the good, then it is all of the obediences to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All types of goodness in terms of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that is considered ma'roof. All of the obedience to Allah is considered ma'roof. Wa'adamu dhalika, and the greatest of all of that, the greatest of all of the types of obedience which are considered as ma'roof, is ibadatullahi wahdahu la sharika lah wal ikhlasul ibadati lah wa tarku ibadati ma siwah wa yati ba'da thalika sa'iru ta'at min wajibat wa mustahabbat The Shaykh says the greatest of all of those worships is quite clearly the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone without any partners sincerely for him all of the worship being directly sincerely directed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to leave the worship of anything besides Allah. And then after that, after this tawheed, which is the affirmation of your worship purely for the sake of Allah, and the negation that this worship can be misdirected in any way to any other deity, that is the greatest of the ma'roof that you would enjoin. The greatest of the enjoining of good is to enjoin the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon the people. To call to that tawheed and to enjoin that tawheed. And to refute the shirk. To refute the shirk that the people they are upon. That is the greatest affair. The remainder of the types of worship, they then come after that. After that you have the remainder of the types of worship. Uh, from the different types of worship. The obligatory ones, the mustahab ones. All of the other types of worship. Obedience to Allah are also considered as ma'roof. And they come after the main ma'roof, which is the obedience of Allah upon Tawheed. 
That is ma'roof. That is what we speak about when we say enjoining the good. All of the obedience to Allah at the head of it, tawheed. Munkar then. What is munkar? Al-Amr bin Ma'roof wa nahi anil munkar. Enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. So what is the evil then the Shaykh says? The evil, huwa kullu ma naha Allahu anhu wa rasooluh. فَجَمِيعُ الْمَعَاصِي وَالْبِدَعِي مُنْكَرُ وَأَعْظَمُ الْمُنْكَرُ أَشْرِكُ بِاللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلُ Everything that Allah and His Messenger have prohibited from, everything that Allah and His Messenger have prohibited from, they've told us to stay away from, all of those things are considered munkar. Everything that Allah told us to stay away from, made it haram upon us, forbade us from doing, and the Messenger of Allah وسلم, commanded us, or rather prohibited us, and forbade us from doing, then all of those types of actions are considered as munkar. All of these disobediences are considered munkar. So all sins, the Shaykh says, Jamir al-Ma'asi, all of the sins, wal-bid'ah, and all of the innovations, are something which is considered as munkar, as evil. And the greatest of all of those is, as we mentioned, shirk. The greatest of the evils is shirk. So we understand from that, that enjoining the good and forbidding the evil, the head of those is enjoining tawheed and warning from shirk. That is the head of the affair with regards to enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. Then after that comes all of the other commandments, and all of the other prohibitions within the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَالْأَمْرِ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَالنَّهِي عَنِ الْمُنْكِرِ وَاجِبٌ عَلَى هَذِهِ الْأُمَّةِ وَجُوبًا كِفَائِيًا لَا عِنِيًّا إِذَا قَامَ بِهِ مَنْ يَكْفِي سَقَطَ الْإِثْمُ عَنِ الْبَاقِينَ وَإِذَا لَمْ يَقُمْ بِهِ أَحَدْ أَثِمَ الْجَمِيعَ The Shaykh then says, uh, quoting from the book of Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan, that enjoining the good and forbidding the evil is an obligation within this ummah. It is an obligation upon the Muslims to enjoin the good and forbid the evil. But what type of obligation is it? The Shaykh explains, narrating from Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan, ta'ala, that it is wujuban kifaiyan. That it is a type of obligation. If some of the people, they did it, and they sufficed in doing it, then that is sufficient for the rest of the people. Meaning, that if all of us sat in this room now, we see someone committing some evil, and we are able to change that evil and to stop it and prevent it, it doesn't require every single one of us to have to go and speak to him. If one of us went and spoke to him and that evil was stopped, that is sufficient. And for the rest of us, there is no sin upon us anymore. It cannot be said that enjoining the good and forbidding the evil in this regard is something which is obligatory upon every single individual. Everyone has to do it. So if all of us see somebody doing something wrong, then every single one of us has to go and crowd around him and tell him. That's not the reality. One or two or three, they go and they stop that evil. It is sufficient and the sin drops from the rest of the people. There are times, however, that maybe it might be an obligation upon every individual. That would be in circumstances, certain types of circumstances. Maybe there is an area where Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah are extremely few in number, extremely few. And the people of bid'ah and the people of evil and misguidance are many and many. So 
because of the large numbers of the people of misguidance and the handful of the Salafiyun, Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah in that area, it may well be that this particular individual from Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, he's the only one in his area. So when he sees some evil or some uh, misguidance or some other type of evil, then it's upon him to have to go and try to do something. He's the only one there available to do it. So in that case, it's an obligation definitely upon him. But in a society where there are many people, and there are many from Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, then the ruling generally speaking is that it is uh, wajib kifai. That if some of the people were to go and correct that error, to enjoin that good and forbid that evil, and it is done, then it, the, the sin is removed from the rest of us. There is no issue for the rest of us now. If however, there is some evil, and no one goes and enjoins the good and forbids the evil, no one does that, then everybody is a sinner. Everybody sins for that then. Because nobody from amongst them has gone to enjoin that good and forbid the evil. This is what the Shaykh says the ruling concerning that is. That is in accordance to the statement of Allah. This ruling is derived from the Qur'an. That there should be from amongst you a group who call to this goodness, they enjoin the good and they forbid the evil, and they are the successful ones. They let there be from amongst you. So the scholars, they said that this is a, uh, a fard kifai, that it's an obligation, which is a type of uh, obligation that if some of the Muslims, they did it, then the sin is removed from the others. Qala Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala said, Man amara bil ma'roofi wa naha anil munkar, fayanbaghi an yakuna aliman bima amara bih, aliman bima yanha an, rafiqan fima ya'muru bih, rafiqan fima yanha an, haliman fima ya'muru bih, haliman fima yanha an, fal'ilmu qabla al-amar, wal-rifqu ma'a al-amar, wal-hilmu ma'a al-amar, فَإِنْ لَمْ يَكُنْ عَالِمًا لَمْ يَكُنْ لَهُ أَنْ يَقْفُوا مَا لَيْسَ لَهُ بِعِلْمٍ Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he said, that whoever is going to enjoin the good and forbid the evil, then it is befitting that he needs to be knowledgeable regarding that which he is enjoining. And that's what we said at the beginning. If somebody wishes to enjoin the good, he needs to know what the goodness is. What is the sunnah? What is the obligations? What are the commandments? What is the goodness? If a person doesn't know what that goodness is and what that obedience to Allah is, then he's not going to be able to enjoin the goodness. So Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah said, somebody who enjoins the good, he needs to have knowledge of what that good is. Be aware and knowledgeable of it. Similarly, he needs to have knowledge of that which he rejects and forbids. If he's going to forbid the evil, he needs to have knowledge concerning this evil. That it actually is an evil. Because sometimes a person, he may see something, and he considers it to be an evil. And in reality, it is not. So he may go and try to prevent this evil, and tell that person, and begin his speech, etc., and do what he's doing, only to realize afterwards, to realize afterwards that it wasn't even an evil that was going on. Shaykh Muhammad bin Salih, he mentioned an example. He said, imagine you see somebody praying, they are about to start their prayer. So you see them sitting down. 
in the masjid. For example, you see them sitting down and they do the takbir and they start praying. So then you think to yourself, subhanAllah, what's he doing? Why is he sitting and praying? He needs to be standing and praying. I was just with him now, he was walking, what's wrong? Why is he sitting down? Evil, haram, he doesn't know. He needs to be standing and praying. So he goes to him and he tells him and he admonishes him and this and that. You need to stand and pray. What are you doing sitting down, etc.? Then Shaykh Muhammad bin Salih al-Thameen, rahimahullah said, maybe after doing all of that, then he realizes, the person tells him, actually, yeah, I can walk, but I have a problem with my knee, for example, and I can't bend and I can't do this, and I can't stand in one place for a long time. And then he tells him that this is the reasoning. So that's a legitimate reasoning in the sunnah for him to be able to sit down. It's a legitimate reasoning. But this individual, because he wasn't aware of that, he ended up going, thinking that he is refuting this evil and telling the person, get up, you need to stand up, etc. And he doesn't realize that actually what the person is doing is okay. It's allowed for him to do that in those circumstances. That's why Shaykh Islam says here now, somebody is going to enjoin the good and forbid the evil, then he needs to know what he's talking about. He needs to know what the goodness is, what the evil is. He needs to be upon knowledge. Not that an individual haphazardly, chaotically here and there tries to do goodness and badness, or uh, refute the badness rather, and he doesn't know what he's doing in reality. Rafiqan fi ma ya'muru bih. Shaykh al-Islam then says he needs to have some rifq in him when he commands the people, enjoins the good. Have some good manners, have some good morals, have some good behavior, some nice speech, some nice behavior in enjoying that good. Because that is how the majority of the people, they will accept. No doubt, no doubt, every situation has its own circumstances. And wisdom is to put the places in their, uh, to put the uh, items in their correct places. So maybe sometimes you see something and the way to prevent that evil is to be harsh and to be severe straight away. That may be a certain circumstance where that is required. And if that is the circumstance and that is required, then that is correct and that is justice. And there's no harm in that. But the circumstances and the right places for the right type of behavior are required. So here Shaykh Hassan ibn Taymiyyah says, a person needs to have some, generally speaking, this uh, uh, kindness and gentleness and uh, good manners and behaviors in enjoying that good, so that the people, they will accept that from him. Rafiqan fi anhu. Similarly, to have that goodness when he uh, prohibits something, enjoins the good and prohibits the evil, when he prohibits some evil, then he does it with goodness and with, uh, in a good manner, with morals and behaviors, etc., Haliman fima yamurubi. Haliman fima yanha anhu. And he needs to have some type of uh, wisdom. Wisdom in what he enjoins and what he forbids. What's the word they use there? Mild, but after that. Oh, just before that section, command it to be mild. Mild mild is what we mentioned in terms of generosity, good manners, good uh, morals, good behaviors. That a person is mild in that way. And also that a person has wisdom, no doubt. That you have wisdom in how you enjoy the good and forbid the evil. And inshallah the shaykh will mention that affair coming up. That enjoying the good and forbidding the evil, the scholars of the past they mentioned. There are three circumstances. There are three circumstances in enjoying the good and forbidding the evil. One of them is that if you enjoin that good and you forbid that evil, then a better consequence comes about afterwards. 
the end result is something better which comes about. So in that case, you obviously go and enjoy the good and forbid the evil to get that better consequence to arise. Sometimes you might enjoy the good and forbid the evil, but something worse happens afterwards. That's the second circumstance. The third circumstance is that you enjoy the good and forbid the evil, so that evil stops, but afterwards another evil comes which is equal to the first one. You stop this evil and another one comes which is equal to it. So there are three circumstances. You could enjoin the good and forbid the evil and something better occurs afterwards. Or you could enjoin the good and forbid the evil and something worse ends up happening as a consequence. Or you could enjoin the good and forbid the evil and something of equal amounts happens afterwards. In those kinds of circumstances, the scholars, they say, that if you're going to enjoin the good and forbid the evil and something better is going to happen afterwards, or that's what you anticipate, and then in that case, of course, you enjoin the good and forbid the evil. If, however, you are aware and it is uh, something which is majoritively in your mind, overwhelmingly in your mind, that if you were to try to enjoin the good and forbid the evil with these people or those people, then overwhelmingly in your mind, you anticipate something worse will happen. Then in that instance, the scholars, they say, you don't do it. Because where is the enjoying the good and forbidding the evil then? If you do it, something worse is going to happen. You anticipate in that situation overwhelmingly that something worse is going to happen, then of course you don't do it. And if it's going to be an equal evil that occurs afterwards, then the scholars, they say, goes back to the person to have a look at that situation and use his wisdom to decide whether to do that or not. So that's why Shaykh Islam here mentions that a person needs to be mild, have knowledge of what he's talking about, have wisdom. And if a person, فَإِن لَمْ يَكُنْ عَالِمًا لَمْ يَكُنْ لَهُ إِنْ يَقْفُوَ مَا لَيْسَ لَهُ بِهِ عِلْمٍ And if that person is not alim, he's not a person of knowledge, he doesn't have knowledge of the goodness, he doesn't have knowledge of the evil, he doesn't, he's not grounded in those affairs, then it's not upon him to engage in affairs that are outside of his knowledge. It's not upon him to engage in affairs that are outside of his knowledge. He doesn't really understand enjoying the good and forbidding the evil on a particular affair, but he wants to jump in there anyway. That the scholars, they advise, no. That is a, a principle, generally speaking, anyway. As Imam al-Bukhari mentioned, al knowledge comes before statements and actions. As Allah mentioned in the Quran, Know, have knowledge. That there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah, then seek forgiveness for your sins. Knowledge comes before actions. And that is what Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah is mentioning here. The Shaykh al-Islam carries on, he says, aliman, Even if a person was knowledgeable, a person is knowledgeable, but he isn't mild, he doesn't have those, that wisdom and that ability to deal with the people, he doesn't know how to do any of that. He doesn't know how to uh, behave with the people. He doesn't know that. Even if he might be knowledgeable. If he doesn't have the ability to be mild and to, uh, to uh, deal with the people, then that is the example the Shaykh gives, Shaykh al-Islam. The example of a doctor who is not uh, mild with his patients. He is not generous and kind with his patients. So he is severe on his patients. A doctor, he is severe upon his patients. Uh, uh, so in that instance, 
So the doctor, he becomes severe and harsh upon the patients, and so they don't accept anything from him. His behavior towards them, in dealing with them, in uh, diagnosing them, etc., it is severe and it is harsh. And he doesn't behave in the proper manner. So then they will not accept from him. Similarly, a person who wishes to, uh, to uh, teach a child a lesson, but he does it in a manner which is not befitting, a manner which has no wisdom behind it, a manner which the child will not accept. So that is uh, what's mentioned that a person needs to have good manners and wisdom in being able to enjoy the good and forbid the evil. That is like the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an when he said to Musa and Harun alayhi salam فَقُولَ لَهُ قَوْلًا لَيِّنَا نعم لَعَلَّهُ يَتَذَكَّرُ أَوْ يَخْشَى Say to him a, a soft speech, a gentle speech so that maybe he may remember and fear. Say to him in a good manner, in a good speech. ثُمَّ مَنْ أَمَرَ أَوْ نَهَا فَلَا بُدَّ أَنْ يُؤْذِيَا فِي الْعَادَةِ أَنْ يُؤْذَى فِي الْعَادَةِ فَعَلَيْهِ أَنْ يَصْبِرَ وَيَحْلِمَا كَمَا قَالَ تَعَالَى وَأْمُرْ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَنْهَا عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ وَاصْبِرْ عَلَى مَا أَصَابَكَ إِنَّ ذَلِكَ مِنْ عَزْمِ الْأُمُورِ Then the shaykh says, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, if a person enjoins the good and forbids the evil, then he needs to be uh, patient. He needs to have patience if he's going to do that. Because no doubt many of the people who enjoin the good and forbid the evil, they are going to face harm from the people. They will face harm from the people against them. When they attempt to tell the people, this is sunnah and this is bid'ah, what you are upon is innovation, what you are upon is hizbiyah. When you try to enjoin the good and forbid the evil in this way, you will face the harm of the people. You will face their backbiting, you will face their slander, you will face their outright lies against you. There is no doubt this occurs. And it occurs from those people whose hearts are diseased. Their hearts have no remembrance of Allah or little remembrance of Allah. And so they engage in these types of affairs without any consideration. So they will lie against you and they will slander and they will backbite and they will spread namima without any shame. This will occur. So Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah says, if you're going to enjoy the good and forbid the evil, no doubt you must remember to have that patience. Because that is the way it will occur. People will harm you as a consequence. And that is in accordance to the statement of Allah, وَأْمُرْ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَنْهَا عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ وَاسْبِرْ عَلَى مَا أَصَابَكَ Enjoy the good and forbid the evil and be patient upon that which comes to you. Be patient upon that which afflicts you afterwards. إِنَّ ذَلِكَ مِنْ عَزْمِ الْأُمُورِ Indeed, that is from the stronghold of the affairs. Similarly, Shaykh Rasam said in another place, وَالْوَاجِبُ عَلَى الْآمِرِ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَالنَّاهِ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ أَنْ يَكُونَ أَمْرُهُ وَنَهْيُهُ لِلَّهِ وَقَصْدُهُ طَاعَةً لِلَّهِ أو طَاعَةُ اللَّهِ It is obligatory upon the one who enjoins the good and forbids the evil. And this is another point now. The first set of points that we were talking about was having knowledge of what you're doing. Be in a state where you are upon knowledge when you enjoin the good and forbid the evil. Have the correct mannerisms and the characteristics to enjoin that good and forbid that evil. And to understand that you will be harmed as a consequence of doing so. And so you need to be patient. The next point Shaykh islam mentions is that the person who is upon those characteristics and therefore he is going to enjoin the good and forbid the evil, he needs to be doing that with sincerity for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He needs to be doing it with sincerity for the sake of Allah. وَأَنْ يَكُونُ مَقْصُودُهُ صَلَاحَ الْمَأْمُورِ And that his intent 
his objective behind enjoining the good and forbidding the evil is for the betterment of the person that he is speaking to. So when you are enjoining the good and forbidding the evil and advising someone, your intent and your objective is sincerely for the sake of Allah and that this person betters himself as a consequence of your advice. That is your intent. وَإِقَامَةُ الْحُجَّ عَلَيْهِ And to establish the evidence upon that person. To establish the evidence, tell him, this is the ruling, this is the Qur'an, this is the sunnah. Your objective is to prove to him and give him the evidences. وَأَلَّا يَكُونَ مَقْسُودُهُ طَلَبُ الرِّئَاسَ لِنَفْسِهِ وَطَائِفَتِهِ أَوْ تَنَقْصُ غَيْرِهِ However, a person's intent when enjoining the good and forbidding the evil should not be to seek position for himself. So that he is recognized amongst the people. He is praised amongst the people. Or that he enjoins the good and forbids the evil in terms of maybe refuting certain individuals for the sake of increasing his own party's standing or ranking or status. Those intentions are not correct. Those intentions are not permissible. Neither is it permissible to enjoin the good and forbid the evil with the intent of defaming that person. That's all you want. You're going to go and correct his errors just for the sake of refuting him and defaming him. That isn't the correct way either. Rather an individual, if he's going to do this, a uh, principle from the principles of Salafiyyah, of enjoying the good and forbidding the evil, then it is done with a sincere heart for the sake of bettering those people that you are enjoying the good and forbidding the evil upon. And the Shaykh mentions here, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah still, وَأَصْلُ din And the origin of the religion, أَنْ يَكُونَ الْحُبُّ لِلَّهِ وَالْبُغْضُ لِلَّهِ that the loving is for the sake of Allah and hating is for the sake of Allah. وَالْمُوَالَاتُ And your companionship and your company with the people, your loving of the people, etc. is for the sake of Allah. وَالْمُعَادَاتُ And your hating of the people and your enmity of the people is for the sake of Allah. Your hating people and your loving people, love and hate for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not for the sake of personal revenge or for the sake of raising your own rank and status amongst the people or for the sake of defaming the other one. But rather all of that is for loving and hating for the sake of Allah. وَالْعِبَادَةُ لِلَّهِ وَالْإِسْتِعَانَةُ لِلَّهِ وَالْخَوْفُ مِنَ اللَّهِ وَالرَّجَاءُ مِنَ اللَّهِ وَالْعَطَاءُ لِلَّهِ وَالْمَنْعُ لِلَّهِ وَهَذَا إِنَّمَا يَكُونُ بِمُتَابَعَةِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ and that a person's worship and his seeking of aid and assistance and his fear and his hope and his giving and his preventing, all of that is done for the sake of Allah. And that is going to occur when a person follows the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ because the commandments of the sunnah are the commandments of Allah and the prohibitions of the sunnah are the prohibitions of Allah. وَمُعَادَاتُهُ مُعَادَاتٌ uh, and his enmity is enmity for the sake of Allah. Or uh, it is the enmity that Allah has declared. وَطَاعَتُهُ طَاعَتُ اللَّهِ And his obedience is the obedience of Allah. وَمَعْسِيَتُهُ مَعْسِيَتُ اللَّهِ And his sinning is the sinning of Allah then. مِنْ كَلَامِ شَيْخُ الْإِسْلَامِ بِخْتِصَارِ And that is the speech of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. Indicating the sincerity that a person must have in his heart when engaging in that affair. That is the first principle the Shaykh mentions in brief, enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. The second principle, from the principles of Salafiyyah, and this like we said, it's a brief summary of some of the principles of Salafiyyah. This is not all of it, but some of the points that the Shaykh has mentioned. 
The second one the Shaykh mentions is the principle regarding worship. And this we briefly touched upon before. What is the principle of the Salaf when it comes to worship? The principle is Al-Ibadat Mabnaha Ala Tawqif. That worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is built upon Tawqif. Tawqif meaning that you cannot worship Allah in any way other than the way that is proven by the evidences. You cannot worship Allah in any way other than the way that has been proven by the evidences. That's the only way you can worship Allah. You cannot worship Allah until you have evidence telling you how and when and what to do. Without those evidences, without those proofs telling you how and when and what, how to worship Allah, then you cannot do it from your own intellects and your own minds. This worship is not built upon the intellects or the minds of the people. That is why Ali ibn Abi Talib said, لَوْ كَانَ الدِّينُ بِالرَّأِي لَكَانَ الْمَسْحُ عَلَى أَسْفَلِ الْخُفِّ أَوْلَ مِنْ ظَاهِرِهِ that if this religion was based upon intellect, then wiping over the bottom of your leather socks would be more intellectual and logical than wiping over the top. Why? Because when you put your socks on and you walk, where does the dirt and the dust go? On the top side or the bottom side? The bottom side. So when you make wudu, if you were using your intellect and your logic, you would think to yourself, it's the bottom side I should wipe. That's where the dust and everything is. But Ali ibn Abi Talib said, our religion isn't based upon our logic and our intellect and our minds. Our religion is based upon what Allah and His Messenger have told us. That's what our religion is based upon. And we've been told that you wipe on the top side of your sock and that's what we do. Doesn't matter what your intellect tells you, what your logic tells you. We've been told to do the top side, so we wipe on the top side. Similarly, Umar ibn Khattab, he said, concerning the black stone, إِنِّي لَا أَعْلَمُ أَنَّكَ حَجَرْ لَا تَذُرُّ وَلَا تَنْفَعْ Amr al-Khattab said when he was doing the tawaf and kissing the black stone, he said to the black stone, addressing the black stone so the people could hear and they would recognize the uh, reality of tawheed. He said, I know you are a stone. You are just a stone. You cannot harm and you cannot do any benefit or good for me. You cannot harm and you cannot benefit. Had I not seen the Prophet ﷺ kissing you, I wouldn't have kissed you. Meaning the only reason we're doing this is because it is the commandment of the Prophet ﷺ, it is the sunnah to do so. So you behave in accordance to the commandments as they have come without your intellect coming into it. That was the calamity of the Mu'tazila. The Mu'tazila, it was all about their intellects. Giving their intellects more right than the texts themselves. If it didn't make sense to their minds, they rejected it. And that was their calamity. So our religion is not based upon that way, rather we follow the Qur'an, the Sunnah, the evidences as they are. Even though it is from the methods of the Prophet ﷺ to give reasonings for rulings. Often you find there are a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ, he commands with something or he prohibits something and he gives the reasoning behind it. He gives the reasoning behind the prohibition. Because once you have the reasoning in the hadith, it makes it easier for you to understand. And it makes it stronger in your belief of that affair. Sometimes that is the case, the reasoning is given. But sometimes there may be a ruling or a commandment and the reasoning isn't given. But even if the reasoning isn't given, you still do it. Examples of the hadith where reasonings are given, if you look in the books of fiqh, 
an individual who, for example, if you're out in the desert somewhere, out in the open, and you need to use the toilet. So you go to some secretive location, some hill or some uh, behind some bush or something, and so you relieve yourself. Then afterwards you clean yourself with stones and rocks. Find some stones, rocks, etc. It's in the hadith. Hadith of uh, Ibn Mas'ud. That he said, I take to Ibn Sallam, or uh, that the Prophet Sallam, he commanded him to bring him three stones. He said, فَوَجَدْتُ حَجَرَيْنِي وَلَمْ أَجِدْ الثالث. I found two stones and I couldn't find the third one. فَأَتَيْتُهُ بِرَوْثَ So I brought him some dried dung. You know, animals when they, the dung comes out, the droppings, in the heat when they dry up, they become dry. You can touch them, nothing will come off, it's dry. So he said, I brought him one of those dried dungs. So the Prophet ﷺ took the two stones and he threw, فَأَلْقَرْرَوْثَ He threw away the dried dung. So we know that the dried dung cannot be used. But then the Prophet ﷺ gave the reasoning in the hadith. He said the dung and the bones, الْعَظَمْ وَالْرَوْثَ لَا يُطَهِّرَانِ The hadith mentions, they are not purifiers. They cannot purify you. So if you were to use that to clean yourself, you wouldn't be pure. You wouldn't be pure. And in another hadith, he gives another reasoning, وسلم, The reasoning that many people are aware of, which is that the bones and the dung are the animals for the jinn and their, and their animals. They are the food for the jinn rather and their animals. They are the food for the jinn and their animals. So here we've been given reasonings as to why you can't use those to clean yourself. Sometimes though, you might not have a reasoning. Some types of worship... There might not be any logical reasoning that you understand. Like wudu. Does wudu have a logical reasoning behind it? No, it doesn't. Many people will say, of course it does. To clean yourself, make yourself pure before the prayer. No doubt the wudu does that. No doubt the wudu makes you a bit cleaner, etc. You wash your face, your arms. But that isn't the reasoning, the, the, the actual reasoning behind the wudu. The actual wudu itself is as they say, ibadah mahda. It is a pure worship. You do it for the sake of being told to do it. You've been commanded to do it, so you do it. What's the proof? The scholars, they mention. Imagine a person, he makes wudu. He makes full wudu. Everything finishes the feet, finishes everything, gets to the feet, washes the feet. He's sitting on one of those stools. He washes his feet and everything, turns the top off. As he gets up to go away, he breaks wind. Just as he gets up to go, just as he's finished everything, closes the top, he starts to walk away, he breaks wind. A small, tiny amount of wind. A small amount. Just a small wind. What does he have to do now? He has to wash his face again. He has to wash his nose out again. He has to wash his mouth out again. He has to wash his arms again. He has to wipe his head again. And he has to wash his feet again. If wudu was for the sake of purification, just purification, uh, meaning to clean yourself and cleansiness, if that was the only purpose of wudu, then how does breaking wind have anything to do with wiping your head or washing your feet or washing your face? Does breaking wind make your face dirty? Does breaking wind make your feet dirty? Does it make your head dirty? Does it make your arms dirty? So why do you have to wash those parts again if you break wind? That indicates that the wudu isn't just for the sake of cleaning yourself. It's an act of worship. If wudu was just for cleaning yourself, then the ruling would have been that if you break wind, we would have just thought logically, as the narration of Ali ibn Abi Talib said, we would have just thought, just clean that area. Go go to the bathroom and clean that area where you broke wind. 
get some tissue and some water and just clean that area and that's it. Why do you have to make wudu again? Why do you have to wash your arms, your face, your wipe your head and your feet again for? You broke wind. The wind didn't touch any of these areas. So that indicates that making wudu isn't just for cleaning yourself. It's a pure act of worship. Ibadah mahba. You do it because you've been commanded to do it. Imagine a person falls asleep. He falls asleep for 10 minutes on the floor in deep sleep. He gets up after 10 minutes. He has to make the full wudu again. Imagine even more than that, a person has the full ghusl. Full ghusl, full wudu, brand new clothes, brand new duvet, brand new pillow, everything brand new just out of the washing machine. Makes full ghusl of himself and makes full wudu. Then the time for fajr is about to come. But he thinks, I've got some time, I'll just lie down. I won't go to sleep, I'll just lie down for a few minutes. He lies down, ends up falling asleep for 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Now when he gets up, is he dirty in any way? Brand new bedding and everything, brand new full ghusl clothing just before. He just happened to fall asleep for 10-15 minutes. What does he have to do? Make wudu again. Why? He's completely clean everywhere. His clothing, his bedding, everything was completely clean. So this indicates that wudu is an act of pure worship. And with regards to sleep, the scholars have mentioned other reasons because you don't know where your hands may go. They may touch your private parts, etc. These types of things. So with regards to worship, the principle here of the Salaf is that worship is built upon evidences alone. The evidences that you find, that's how you worship Allah. If you cannot find that evidence, you cannot make up your own form of worship. And we mentioned already the ayah from the Quran, Surah Ali Imran, ayah number 31. قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهَ فَاتَّبِعُونِي يُحْبِبْكُمُ اللَّهُ وَيَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ ذُنُوبَكُمْ Say that indeed if you love Allah, then follow me. If you love Allah, then follow me and Allah will uh, uh, love you and forgive for you your sins. Similarly, وَمَنْ يُطِعِ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ يُدْخِلْهُ جَنَّاتٍ تَدْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارِ Whoever obeys Allah and His Messenger, then Allah will enter him into paradise where gardens, uh, rivers flow underneath the gardens. خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا They will remain therein forever. وَذَلِكَ الْفَوْزُ الْعَظِيمُ And that is the great victory, the great success. And also we've mentioned some of the statements of the Salaf before. اِتَّبِعُوا وَلَا تَبْتَدِعُوا Follow the Sunnah as it has come. Do not make up your own innovations. Uh, similarly, we've also mentioned that the two pillars of accepted worship are sincerity and following the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. And then the Shaykh says to conclude this principle, وَقَدْ جَاءَتِ النُّسُوسَ الْكَثِيرَةِ فِي الْقُرْآنِ وَالسُنَّةِ الَّتِي فِيهَا الْأَمْرِ بِطَاعَةِ اللَّهِ وَطَاعَةِ رَسُولِهِ وَالنَّهِيَ عَمَعْصِيَةِ اللَّهِ وَمَعْصِيَةِ رَسُولِهِ فَلَا يَجُوزُ لِأَحَدِنَا لِيَخْرُجَ عَمَّا مَضَتْ بِهِ السُنَّةِ وَدَلَّ عَلَيْهِ الْكِتَابُ وَالسُنَّةِ and the Qur'an and the Sunnah has indicated the obligation of worshipping Allah and staying away from the sinning and disobedience. And so it's not uh, uh, permissible for any individual to go outside of what the Qur'an and the Sunnah has said. So that is a principle in worship, that it must be done upon evidence. Must be done in accordance to the evidences that are found, in accordance to the uh, narrations in the Qur'an and in the Sunnah. Whereas the worldly affairs, what did we say about the worldly affairs? With regards to worship, we said, you need the evidences like we just mentioned, principle of the salaf. You can't make up your own evidences or your own types of worship. It must be based upon uh, what the evidences indicate. But with worldly affairs, what is the ruling on worldly affairs? So you need an evidence to forbid something. Meaning with worldly affairs, you can do what you want. With worldly affairs, you can do what you want. Until, unless you find some evidence to say it's haram. 
So, like we said, you want to buy a, a white car, you want to buy a blue car. Choose whatever one you want, it doesn't matter. It's a worldly affair, white car or blue car, pick whatever you want. Nobody can say to you, if you say I'm going to pick the blue car, where's your evidence in the Quran Sunnah you have to buy blue cars? You can't do that, it's a worldly affair. Worldly affairs, you can do what you want, unless there's an evidence telling you you can't. So if, for example, for example, just to illustrate the point, for example, if there was an evidence saying you're not allowed to buy blue vehicles, for example, then we'd say, okay, in this worldly affair, you can buy whatever color you want, but not blue, because we have an evidence saying you can't do blue. So the worldly affairs, you can do what you want until or unless there are evidences telling you you can't do certain things. That is the end of the second principle. The third principle... Do we have time, huh? Time is it? We'll do this, too, this one too. The third principle will conclude on this one. It's a short one. Qa'ida fi anna madar al-din ala al-ilm al-nafi' wal-amal al-salih. Principle of the Salaf that the whole of this religion, it revolves around two things. The whole of this religion revolves around two things. Ilm al-nafi' beneficial knowledge wal-amal al-salih and righteous actions. Beneficial knowledge and righteous actions. The religion revolves around those two. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah said, Righteousness is restricted in two types. Righteousness is restricted in two things. Al-ilm al-nafi' Beneficial knowledge. What is beneficial knowledge? Beneficial knowledge is knowledge of Allah, knowledge of His names and attributes, knowledge of the religion. As for knowledge that does not benefit you in any way, useless and wasteful knowledge, then that is not beneficial knowledge. Beneficial knowledge is knowledge of your creator, of the Qur'an, the sunnah, etc. So, Shaykh Islam says, righteousness and goodness is restricted to these two types. Beneficial knowledge and righteous actions. وَالْعَمَلُ الصَّالِحِ وَقَدْ بَعَثَ اللَّهُ مُحَمَّدًا بِأَفْضَلِ ذَلِكِ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the Prophet Muhammad with the best of that. With the best of the beneficial knowledge and the best of the righteous actions. And that is the guidance and the religion of truth. The guidance of knowledge and the religion of truth, the actions. So that he can make it apparent and overwhelming all of the other religions. So guidance is the righteous or the beneficial knowledge. And the deen al-haq is the righteous actions. As Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah mentioned himself at the beginning of Al-Aqidah al-Wasitiyyah. Also Shaykh al-Islam said, فَأَهْلُ سُنَّةِ وَالْجَمَاعَةِ الْمُتَّبِعِينَ لِلسَّلَفِ صَالِحِ لَا يَتَكَلَّمُونَ فِي شَيْءٍ مِّنَ الدِّينِ إِلَّا تَبْعًا لِمَا جَاءَ بِهِ الرَّسُولَ سَلَّمْ إِتِّبَاعًا لِلْكِتَابِ وَالسُنَّةِ Therefore, Ahlu Sunnah wal Jama'ah, the ones who are following the methodology of the Salaf, the righteous Salaf, they do not speak about anything in the religion except in accordance to what has come from the Messenger of Allah in following that Qur'an and Sunnah. They don't say anything themselves, make it up themselves. وَأَمَّا أَهْلُ الْبِدَعِ فَلَا يَعْتَمِدُونَ عَلَى الْكِتَابِ وَسُنَّةِ وَأَثَارِ السَّلَفِ الصَّالِحِ وَإِنَّمَا يَعْتَمِدُونَ عَلَى الْعَقْلِ وَالْلُغَةِ وَالْفَلْسَفَةِ As for the people of innovation, then they do not depend upon the Qur'an and the Sunnah in all the narrations of the Salaf. Instead, they depend upon their intellects or the language. They say linguistically this means this and linguistically means that. Therefore, these are evidences. And philosophy. These are the people of philosophy. 
These types of individuals, Ahlul Kalam, etc., they depend upon their intellects to, di- to dictate to them what their religion is, what their aqidah is. And like we said, these people of innovation, they make their stance first, they decide what their stance is going to be. Then they look through the Quran and the Sunnah to try to find some evidence to back up the stance that they've already taken. Whereas Ahlul Sunnah wa Jama'ah, our stances, our aqidah, our positions and any affair are always derived initially from the Qur'an and the Sunnah. That is the difference. We derive our aqidah, our methodology from the Qur'an and the Sunnah. They make their aqidah methodology up first, then they try to find evidence to back it up. So it's the opposite for them and it is twisted for them and distorted. So that is the third principle that this religion is based upon those two affairs. That it is based upon you seeking the knowledge, the righteous knowledge, and then acting upon that knowledge. We'll conclude upon that point today. And next time we'll carry on with mentioning the next principle, which is Dar al Mafasid Muqaddamun ala Jalb al Masalih. That if you have some beneficial thing and some harmful thing, you have a choice. Either you can bring about something good, but as a consequence, something evil is going to occur or will remain. Or you could get rid of that evil, but at the cons of forfeiting that good. Then in that case, what's given priority? To get rid of the evil. Get rid of the evil, even if it's at the cost of forfeiting that goodness at that time. And that principle we'll speak about, inshallah ta'ala, from next lesson. Um, and then there's the fifth principle after that, uh, which is regarding the regulations and the rulings in Islam. And then inshallah after that, there's only a couple of chapters to go. Uh, the chapter regarding the stance of the Salaf towards the people of innovation and the methodology of the Salaf in refuting the opposers. Uh, they are towards the end of the chapters and there's one or two more that come after that. So inshallah we'll carry on from next Sunday at approximately the same time, roughly half past six inshallah ta'ala. But like we said, everybody give you text numbers. So if there's any change, the, the times can be texted out. And also on uh, at Twitter, Al Basira at Twitter. If you follow Al Basira, the updates go on there too, the times and things. InshaAllah <coughs> Ta'ala.